Okay, think about a time that you were at the beach. Uh, a beach where you actually went into the water, you know, so someplace warm, Hawaii, Florida, Texas, Southern California, wherever you like to go, you're, you're at the beach. And so you go to the beach and you bring your beach chairs and your blanket, maybe you got your umbrella, you got your cooler, you got everything that you need for the beach. And then you go down to the water and maybe you body surf or maybe you just splash around or stand there and talk and jump up and down on the waves, whatever it is you're gonna do. And my guess is that if you're out there for 15, 20 minutes or so, just having a good time, if you turn around and look for your beach chair, it's gonna be at least 50 feet away. And you'll be like, how did I drift so far away? It just happens. Sometimes it's the current, sometimes you're just playing and not paying attention, but you will never be right in front of your beach chair where you started. You just will always be 50 yards, 50 feet away. So drift kind of happens. You didn't intentionally move away, but because of forces of not paying attention or paying attention to something else or a current or whatever, you drifted down the beach. And drift can happen in so many different ways in all of our lives. We don't intentionally move away from what we were doing or what was important, but it just sort of happens when we're looking somewhere else and being influenced by other forces. And I just wonder if we don't often suffer from spiritual drift too. We just sort of gradually move away from what was the most important thing. So today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6 and only two verses, verses 14 and 15, where Paul writes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. So this is the last in our series in Galatians. We've been here for six weeks during Lent. We've been trying to look honestly at various issues in our lives. We've asked, how real is our faith? How consistent are we? How's our faith affecting our relationships? Who's forming us? What are our addictions and our weaknesses? And today, finally, we're gonna look at what are we attached to? When Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross, cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, He's talking about what's most important in our lives, the thing that we put the most value on, the thing that we're most attached to. And if he has to say, may I never boast except in the cross, that means that there are other things that he could boast in, other things that we could boast in, other things that we get attached to. Now, we don't really use the word boast a lot, and usually when we do, it's negative, like, He's really boastful. So what's a different word that might help us make more sense of what Paul is talking about here? Maybe celebrate or revel or glory in, like I glory in the memory of my high school athletic career, or I glory in how impressive my job is, or I glory in my influence, I glory in my social status. Maybe that helps to think of it like that. Paul's talking to a bunch of people who are glorying in their keeping of the law. 
And Paul knows this temptation too. Paul himself talks about what he might be tempted to boast about or glory in. In Philippians 3, 4, he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul could boast about how spiritual he is, how good he is, how the circumstances of his birth gives him a privileged position, how much better he is than other people. But does anybody really appreciate it when someone tells you how much better they are than you? I remember years ago before recycling really became a big deal because it really hasn't been that long. Um, and we were over at some friend's house, some really good friends. And I was done drinking a beverage out of a bottle and it was time to throw it away. And so I just opened up underneath the sink and I threw the bottle in there. Well, my friend, with great disgust and sighing, looks at me, goes over, pulls the bottle out, rinses it, peels the label off of it, and very obviously puts it where it's supposed to go in the recycle bin. And it just made me feel stupid, and it made him look like a jerk. That, my opinion, that's not what he was thinking at the time. He probably thought it was the reversal. I mean, he could have just said, hey, we recycle here. I'm going to toss that in the recycle bin instead. And I would have been cool. Instead, it was just a moment that was filled with judgment. I had done it wrong, and he was going to do it right. And it's been a long time ago, and it still bothers me when I think about it, because we don't like to be judged. We don't like other people to tell us how much better they are than we are. And that's part of the problem when we start boasting about or glorying in how good we are. People feel judged. Paul could have boasted in how good he was. Other people are boasting about how good they are at keeping items on a list. When Paul looks at what he could have boasted in, his own amazing awesomeness, he says again in Philippians chapter 3, it's a loss, it's garbage. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If law-keeping is what saves us or opens up a relationship with God, then it's really all about what we've done. And then we begin to think that we're better than other people. I don't need Jesus. I don't need any help. I'm a really good person. Or I'm a really good person. I think God will be impressed with me. Or I'm so much better than that person is. And all of a sudden, it's all about us and all about our performance, all about what we bring to the table. But our faith rests on the fact that God did something for us that we couldn't do ourselves. And so here's this reminder from Paul that if you start keeping your laws, if you start coming up with lists that you have to keep, if you have to be good, there's no life in that because you can't be good enough. And thank God for that realization 
Because the beginning of knowing that we can't be good enough is the beginning of understanding grace. I can't do it myself. I'm going to mess up. I need help. And that's why Paul says he only wants to, to boast in or glory in or celebrate the cross. So boasting in the cross, if it weren't for Jesus, who knows what my life would look like or yours. Maybe you'd end up being a drunken mess or something equally terrible. Maybe you'd just be living without any real hope. Or maybe you'd believe the lies that people told you about yourself. Or maybe you'd be trying to live in the impossible expectations that you've laid upon yourself. Or maybe you'd never have a positive influence in your life, reminding you that you're loved no matter what. Maybe you'd never have that moment of realization that the God of the universe stepped down into your life, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you. And the most powerful testimony of the reality of God isn't keeping rules. It's a life that's really been changed by Jesus. The proof of the reality of God is not a bunch of people who are mean all week long, raising their hands and praising Jesus on Sunday. It's a bunch of people living in gratitude each day that God is filled with love for us and that we were created so that God could love us and that we could love God and the wonder that for whatever reason, he keeps loving us no matter what. Um, I, I watch a series of YouTube videos. I've got a bunch of channels that I really like. A lot of them are cooking channels. A lot of them are history channels because uh, I love history. And I ran across this one channel recently that is just a series of documentaries it's just one interview, one interviewer talking to one person. And they come from all sorts of interesting stripes of life, mostly the types of lives that aren't really appropriate for mentioning in sermons, but it's real and it's raw. And I was watching this one 24-minute uh, interview with this younger guy, I think he was probably about 24, and his life is a disaster. And he talks about that. He talks about all the things that he's done trying to fill what he, he's longing for. And it's a pretty eye-opening list of things that he's done with and to his body. And uh, at one point, the interviewer says, so what was it that you're looking for? And the dude, without thinking twice, goes, I'm looking for my dad to love me. Because when I was little, my dad never loved me. And so much of my life has been me trying to be accepted by other men. And anytime I find an older guy who's in my life, I just glom onto them and want them to mentor me. I want them to teach me what it means to be a man. And it was just this moment of incredible realization. This dude who has tried so hard and has in many ways ruined his life, is looking to be loved by his dad. He's just looking for somebody who will love him and value him for who he is. And we have the privilege of knowing that that's the way that God loves us. But how is this dude ever going to know that God loves him in the way that he wants to be loved? Who's showing that to him? What's he learning about Jesus from the sources that are available to him? 
It's when you lose that wonder and marvel that God in his infinite grace chose to love us where we are, not where we should be, with all the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives. When that becomes boring or old hat, that's when we realize that we've drifted away, that we've become attached to something else. As we've interviewed a bunch of different people for the position up in Bremerton, I have uh, relatively frequently been able to share about our organizing principles, the things that drive us as a church. And I always say, I'm gonna tell you what our organizing principles are, and you're gonna go, well, duh, that's what churches are supposed to do. And so this last person that I talked to last week, I said, you know, our organizing principles are that we wanna reach people for Christ, we wanna develop disciples, who develop disciples. We want to live lives of compassion, mercy, and justice. And I know, it's like, well, duh, everybody wants to do that. And he said, nobody's doing that. They say they are, but they aren't. And so if you guys are really doing that, that's exceptional. Most churches, I mean, those are the right things for churches to say, that they want to reach people for Christ, they want to develop disciples, they want to make a difference in the world but most churches aren't really attached to those things, even though they say they are. In reality, most churches don't care that nobody comes to Christ through their ministry. They don't. They wish it would happen, but they don't measure it, they don't expect it, they don't program for it, they don't design for it, and it doesn't happen. And subtly, we churches, people, realize that we've drifted away from where we should be and other things have become more important. Sometimes it's rules, sometimes it's cultural norms or our own awesomeness, sometimes it's just keeping a building open. We drift away from wanting other people to know the wonder that we've found in God's grace. And then we start expecting certain behaviors and attitudes from us and from them. I can remember, not even that long ago, people just in wonderment asking, looking at other people and asking, how can you possibly love God and have a tattoo? It, it seems quaint, but it was a big deal. Now, tattoos maybe are not your deal, but do you see what the real force of the question is? The real force of the question is, you can't be a Christian and have a tattoo. They're mutually exclusive. And that might seem ridiculous, but it was the case. And you could replace tattoo for almost every other thing that you could think of. So think for a second, what are the things, it might not be tattoos, but what are the things that you shake your head at and silently or not so silently judge? It can be so easy to just assume that people that don't see things our way are wrong. It's a real temptation. It's a legalism that you can fall into. And here's my corrective for me. I hang out with a wide variety of people, with a wide variety of people who are deeply committed to following Jesus faithfully. And they are all very different people with very different politics and very different perspectives and very different backgrounds, and they resist stereotyping. And I take their thoughts and their positions seriously because I love them and I see their dedication to Jesus. And it helps me not be stereotypically judgy about certain things. Because ultimately, the key is loving Jesus 
and following him with all our heart. It's not something else. Because pretty soon what happens is nobody in the community has any tattoos, or at least they hide them. But nobody's very loving either. And I know a lot of missionaries struggle with this as they try and bring the gospel to a new culture. What is the gospel and what is simply the way we've always done it? So Paul writes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So talking about crucifixion, what is this not talking about? It's not talking about how you need to physically crucify yourself. It's not talking about how Jesus needs your help in saving the world, and the rest of us really don't need you to have a Messiah complex. It's really talking about a response to Jesus' death and resurrection in the starkest terms possible. This line has been going through my head all this week, a line from an old song. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The way of life before we knew Jesus, that belief system, those assumptions, those behaviors, those attitudes, the lies we were told, the sin that we were so entangled in, that's all dead to us. That's all nailed to the cross. The power of sin and death and addiction is broken by Jesus on the cross. Now it's a matter of living into that. So we talked last week about flesh and spirit and the need that we have to walk in the spirit and keep in step with the spirit and to not live into our old ways of life. And I think this is where this necessity of crucifixion comes in because crucifixion is not a half measure. And when we're dealing with some of the addictions and sins and the ways of our past, we can't take half measures. We have a friend that we love dearly who has an addiction problem. And they will constantly say, I know I shouldn't, but I'll just have one drink. And it's like, you can't. You can't do that. You can't have even one drink because you're an alcoholic. It's like saying, I'll just have one affair this year. And my wife will see the improvement and appreciate it. You can't. You can't do that. Living into the new life in Christ means stopping living in the old way of life. I'm crucified to that way of life. That's my old way. So you have to make new choices instead. I'm crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me. I have to live in new ways. We've been sort of enjoying this last year after Allie graduated from college because remember when you were in college, I mean, you stayed up all hours of the night, right? You had classes at various hours during the day, and it wouldn't be strange at all to meet your friends at 11 o'clock to go eat or to study or what have you. And then Allie came home, and she got a regular Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 job. And Allie was very, very happy to be in bed at 9 o'clock every night. Now, she could still be up until midnight if she wanted to. She could make that choice but you still had to be up the next morning at eight o'clock, and it doesn't take you more than a few days to figure out you can't live that way. This is a really simple example of how you can't pick up stuff from your old life and pick it up and put it into the new. Whether it's old sins when you're trying to live a new way, or whether it's realizing that college and adulthood are somewhat different in how you need to approach them. Paul goes on, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. 
we've talked about this all the way through Galatians. This is a battle between two systems of religion. One was based on following Jesus, and the other was based on following Jesus and Moses. And this battle was deeply enmeshed in cultural identities. And for the people who were on team Jesus and Moses, who were on team keep kosher, who were on team circumcision, the thought of not doing those things was deeply painful for them. I mean, think about this. You've been told your entire life that what you eat and how you eat it and how you act and what you do with your body is important to God, and now that's all changed? It was deeply painful for, for them. They don't feel like this is an add-on to the gospel. They feel like it's the proper response. But the reality is, sometimes you're too close to something and you can't see that it's become too big of a deal. I remember when I was sojourning in a different denomination, it was a Pentecostal denomination, I have great respect for them, but one of their hallmarks was that you needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And if you didn't do those things, you were like not really in the club because why would you not want everything that God had for you? Why would you not want to be fully blessed by God? So there are these, these expectations that you would follow Jesus and to be a real Christian, you had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, that might sound a little bit ridiculous. It only sounds ridiculous because it isn't our experience. We have other quirks, but it was very real to them. How can you follow God and not have the full experience that he wants to have for you? But the next thing is that a gift becomes a requirement. If you were a real Christian, you would, and the answer might be, you're right. But those are questions of discipleship, not issues of salvation. Because what matters is not externals. What matters is that we're changed on the inside. In Paul's language, what counts is the new creation. And this is one of the most important concepts that we miss, that God is making all things new. We are far more influenced by a terrible misreading of the book of Revelation, that it's all gonna burn. I know that's the way you were brought up. I was too, but it's wrong. and We just need to deal with it. It's not a biblical view. Biblically, all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God is making all things new. And he starts with us. That's why what we do here and now is so important. The kingdom of God is here now. You belong to that kingdom. It's a different culture, a different way of doing things with different values. And we're called to incarnate that here, to live into its reality. Some of you have a swear jar. Around the church, we have a Kerry Newhoff jar. And every time we say Kerry Newhoff, we have to put a dollar in it. Um, Matt collects it, and I don't really know what he does with the money, but Kerry Newhoff said, and now I owe Matt, I think I owe Matt $5, the culture needs an alternative to itself, not an echo of itself. And I think that's so true, and why we need to be consistent and faithful to the gospel, glorying in the cross, and nothing else. It's why it's so painful when there's no difference between the church and the culture. 
because we've given up incarnating the kingdom and have just sprinkled holy water on the way we want to live our lives and the things we want to think. The new creation has broken in now. That's what we celebrate at Easter. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean we'll all fly away someday. It means that the new world and the new creation is here now. And that's the most important thing. So let me ask you three questions. What are you tempted to glory in beside the cross? Number two, what is one area of your life that is different because you're a Jesus follower? Number three, what is something from your old life that if you're honest, you haven't crucified. Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.